You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's back. Coyle's back. That's a really bad version of that Eminem song. I uh, I apologize. Is it? Yes, he's back. Shady's back. Something like that. All right. I haven't heard it in a while. Da, 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 da. That's a good one. That's a great video. Dressed up like Batman. I love it. Alrighty, guys. It's past midnight here in Long Beach, California. Got the ocean air on me. What a day. <laughs> I started early today. I've had a long day. I've, I recorded an interview with Chad Johnson, the organizer of the Furnace Fest in Alabama, and it rescheduled. So I was up early and I had to learn songs for videos, Bad Wolves is shooting and going out of town next this week. So we have to find a dog sitter. It's just been a lot. And I've, you know, I've been, I've been working the socials today. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are keeping up with the, with the news, <laughs> but it's been, it, it's been quite, um, a newsworthy weekend with regards to, to bad wolves and our ex singer. And <laughs> so on Saturday night, I attended Jose Mangan from Sirius Satellite Radio, Sirius XM, excuse me, and his wife, Melissa, were having their 20th anniversary celebration. And I went down there and had a, a, a glorious time. But your boy, you know, your boy got sipped up. That's how, that's how I do it, okay? Sometimes I'm living my best life, and I was having a great time. Everyone was dressed up. Great friends were there. Robert Trujillo, his family was there. Dino Cazares was there. Suicide Silence Boys. Spencer from... Ice Nine Kills. It was a good time. And plenty of other people. You know, got a shot. Shining, Shannon Guns, also from Sirius XM. Heidi from The Butcher Baby. So many lovely people there. Uh, Frank from Metal Injection, shout out. And uh, I saw this post. And listen, this dude's been, you know, he's been shitting on us for a long time. And it's like, you know that one meme with the dude, like, like trying, like he's like faces squeezing and his veins are popping out for it. That's how it's a, a lot when someone, that's how it feels when someone's talking shit about you and you're trying to take the high road, right? You're trying to think about Obama. You're trying to think about Martin Luther King. You're like, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You have to love thy enemy. <laughs> right? Turn the other cheek. <laughs> you know, that's what, that, that's what I'm trying to appeal to. But... I think there's a difference between mudslinging and just general beef shit talking, you know, clap, you clap, I clap back kind of a performative 
exercise. And I think where I kind of draw the line is when mistruths are being put out there and someone's slandering your name and trying to discredit you. And 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 essentially, we live in this time where that has been democratized based on how much an influence you have. Tommy has 300,000 Instagram followers. That is, that's a big reach. I got 33,000, 34,000. And I don't even have like crazy engagements. Like people aren't tuned in like that. So it, it is a David and Goliath situation. And I saw this post he put up and I just, I, y'all had to clap back, you know? And he, you know, he's playing shows. Right. And it's like, dude, you're playing shows. Shouldn't you be happy? Like, God, you're, you're playing. I'm not playing shows right now. I'm, I'm at home. Just enjoy your show. Like, have fun. High five your band. Like, we're rocking out. We get to rock out. That's a great thing. But no, he takes his time on stage. And then, you know, I didn't watch the video, but, you know, I saw the, 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 the post, which is, he goes, the, fr- the truth finally comes out. <laughs> You've been lied to. No one in, in Bad Wolves played on Zombie. And none of the guitar players or bass p- player played on the albums or wrote any Bad Wolves songs. All right. So I'm, I'm just going to tell you guys about liars. Okay. And I got to be careful here because this, this dude will sue me. He will, like, they'll slander you and then sue you for slander if you say anything. So I got to be kind of careful here. But so I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about liars. Not, not Tommy. Liars, you know. Great liars, what they do is they use partial truth or truths interwoven with full-on lies because it makes it more believable. So if you have part of it that you can prove, then it makes the rest of the the fantasy believable. Okay, let's go. (laughs) So this is what I love. And this is, so first it starts with a straw man, which is you've been lied to. (laughs) No, no one in battle has played on the zombie song. Who said we did? If you listen to this show, I've mentioned a bunch of times that I had nothing to do with that song a billion times. And when the song came out, I was like trying to put respect on Philip, who actually, Philip Nosland, who did the arrangement. And they're like, don't talk about that. Like, just let people think you did it. That's what they told me. <laughs> they told me not to tell people that I didn't play on it. But now I've, I got to like be, uh, you know, sanguine about it. But so that's the first thing. No one said we played on it. So that's the first thing. There was no lie. So there's your first lie. Then he goes, so no one played. So yeah, so he takes the true thing, which is no one played on on zombie, which is true, which is fine. You know, um, you know, it it existed. You know, Tommy had it for his other band, uh, Westfield Massacre. It was a different version of it. I mean, a similar version. And he, it was just him and Philip. And he took it and he gave it to Bad Wolves. Who gives a fuck? I don't care. But it's like, didn't play it. It's like, you don't think I could have played on it? <laughs> it's four chords, guys. I'm a pretty good guitar player. I'm not, am I the greatest guitar player? I'm not the number one. I could play four chords. I could play guitar solo, even though Philip nailed that solo so good. And I always, the run always whips my ass. So I always kind of modulate it and change it. So. Philip's the man. He's such an amazing musician and one of the nicest human beings alive. Alive. I love you, Philip. Good friend. Um, anyway, and he deserves all the credit in the world. So 
who cares, right? Because I don't, because to me, like this idea that you have to be the guy is a little crazy. Like it's, it's, that's all based around ego, right? Like if I would have joined the band, it was like, hey, I need to play on the song because I'm a guitar player. Like I really don't care because first I'm not, in, I'm more into working smart, not hard. I'm not trying to redo tracks that are done just to say I played on it. That just doesn't make any sense to me. I just don't care enough, you know? Um, but it kind of shows you that your lack of ego can hurt you down the line when you're dealing with certain people that I, if I was adamant about it, then they can't, you know, if you would have known people would have used that against you down the line, you probably would have done something different. Right. And so then he goes that, you know, play guitar on the album or wrote any bad will songs. It's like, well, I've played guitar solos and I've played different parts on songs. So this guy, Max used to be in the band. The band used to be uh, John Max. And he basically plays a lot of pretty much most of the stuff. And a lot of times, especially on this last record, in the record before, because of COVID, we're kind of doing it remote, but I don't care. Like it's literally my riffs and he'll just play it. But if there's another part, I'll play it. Who cares? It's like, is that like what matters? Like, it's not like I can't play it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But I, of course I play guitar solos. I played all over the records. Am I the main guitar player? No, but I don't care. So that's, that's a lie. And then it wrote any of the songs. It's like, you can go anywhere and look up the song credits. Right. I've talked about it on here, a song called Better Off This Way. That was a Vegas nerve song. That it did it existed. I gave it to Bad Wolves. So that's you know, it's just a bold faced lie. You know, songs like LA song, me and John developed that instrumental and brought in worked on that together. It's about half and half me and John. Um so the song, Friendly Dan, name these name these Dan songs. Um, for a friend, that's me and Chris. That's the song me and me and him him developed. Um, no masters on the first record. I I wrote the the verse riff. It's like, you know, there's, and it's like, oh, the bass player didn't play. He wasn't given the opportunity to. Right, and that's and and that's the thing. And and so as things developed with the band, um. You know, like when the, the covers were happening over the last summer, we were not given opportunity to play until way late in the game. And I started, so like I, I developed, I did music for uh, Civil War. I did the music for Tennessee Whiskey, you know, but me, because I care about my band, I'm like, hey, Kyle, come down and do bass. Hey, Chris, come down and play guitar. And so it's a very manipulative situation. So people cut you out of the process, then use it against you. But what is that really about? It's about being able to diminish your relevance and your stature and to say, I matter and you don't. And it's fucking disgusting. It's disgusting. Think about the kind of person that would go out of the way. It's like, are there songs I wrote, like, you know, Vegas Nerve. Like I wrote pretty much all the music on there. Other guys chipped in and helped and did stuff. But it's like, but if I went out there, it's like, I wrote all the songs. Like, who fucking cares? Does Trent Reznor need to go out there and it's like, uh, actually, well, he kind of did say it on one of the records, I am Nine Inch Nails. So maybe that's a bad <laughs> example. <laughs> um, but no, you want to you empower people, you know? Um, 
And why would I, you know, if I was a genius, right? If I was a Trent Reznor, if I was a Devin Townsend, an Adam D, one of these guys that could do everything, that's fucking boring anyway. Just one person. It's like, I want to play with other people. I want people to come and put their spin on. It's like, you know, like some bands have this thing where it's like, oh, you're a drummer. You don't get publishing because it's like, why does beats not part of the song, but notes are? That makes no sense to me. You know, everyone's involved. It's like when Vegas Nerve did the record, it's like everyone, you know, I made sure people involved. You have to empower people. You know, like you think about sports teams, right? Like if you're the best player, is it is it the best thing to go to diminish everyone? No, no, no. You want to, the best players make everyone better. They go, you know, oh, let me get, you know, I'm a basketball fan. So that's the thing. I'll, that's the example. You know, let me get this guy involved. Oh, let me make sure, you know, I encourage this person, you know, because then everyone plays better because they're recognized and their value is being respected. So I, so that that's reflective of the culture we were in and how fucked up it was. Uh, and why no one was happy with the situation. So, you know, I got more to talk about because other shit happened. <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? I'm like 12 minutes into this. I think I think you guys heard, heard enough. We, we can get to that later. I've talked a lot about stuff online. Uh, we have a show sponsor this week. This is exciting. Okay, we have a band. They're from Australia, I believe. Yes, they're from Sydney. And they're called the Opinion Industry. And they reached out to me. And they had a really cool music video, cool photos. And I thought the album sounded cool. And it was just like different. And that's what I liked liked about it. They're called the Opinion Industry, which is an interesting name. And this song is entitled Opinions. Start the song with a punchline. With all the bells and whistles, crowd approves and reaction. Take a trip grabbing headline and digital and print run sponsored ads for transactions. Come and join the hysteria peaking. The buildings fall and the floors are creaking. Don't let the heart of the dance get in the way of opinions. Don't let something like the facts get in the way of opinions.
on the 23rd and on Spotify. It's the only song they have on Spotify, but they released another video for a song called No Comment. And they called it a pre-single, which I don't know what that means. But, uh, you know, it, it's not a single. It's a pre-single. Okay. <laughs> but go check that out. Uh, yeah, that's that's really, really, really fun. Anyway, so they have four more singles they're releasing uh, in 2021. And I love this. All these newer bands are getting smart. Instead of just, hey, let's put an album out. They're, hey, let's do a video. Let's do another video. Let's do another song. And you kind of slowly kind of uh, release stuff and it kind of keeps people in tune. So I think that's a really good idea. And they've been, I guess, doing stuff on TikTok. And even though they don't have a big following, they're saying they're getting a lot of traction on there, which like I said, they're uh, they're thinking in a modern sense, which is really, really important. So uh, if you want to support the band, please go over to their website, which is www.theopinionindustry.com dot au because they're representing australia around here and they're kicking ass and all thanks to them for reaching out uh i think it was the the singer who reached out to me benj i don't know what he does but he was very kind in his emails and so go support them tell them dot coil and the x-man sent you all right and if you want to sponsor the show you know what to do shoot me an email at the x-man podcast at gmail.com remember that's ex or just drop in the dms and we'll we'll mix it up we'll chop it up all right, we have a lovely show. So I, actually, this is a a first time. This is the first time I've ever done this. So we have uh, David Sanchez, who is the guitar player and vocalist for the band Havoc. Incredible band. Incredible band. And he has a podcast as well called Riffs, uh, Riffs or Die. And he hit me up. He's like, hey, you." I was like, well, what? am I going to do an interview and then you interview me? And he's like, no, we'll just let's do one thing and we'll just both air it at the same time. So that's what it is. It's a little bit different because sometimes, you, you know, you it's not like I'm running the show or he's running the show. We're kind of just trading off and, and, and feeling it out. But I thought it was a, a really fun experiment and interesting. Uh, David is a really smart guy and a very thoughtful person. And we, have differing views on a lot on a lot of stuff so i think i was trying to like pry him a little bit to maybe get it a little more debating and he was you know i think he was he was just being very pleasant and polite and awesome uh so it didn't, it didn't get as contentious maybe as i wanted it to be but that's okay because i think it was a really great conversation and we, we we went down some rabbit holes and you know what it doesn't even really need to be set up that much so please check out my conversation with the incredibly talented and awesome david sanchez What's going on, brother? Not much. Happy to be here. Yeah, likewise, man. I really appreciate you uh, reaching out to me. You know, it's uh, you know, it's obviously a strange time where we don't get to see each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like we're like we're used to. Um, but yeah, this will be you know the first time I've done a kind of cross podcasting where we where we both record it and then we both release it. This is like a it's a fresh, it's a fresh vibe. You know, I'm so used to being in the interviewer's chair. So now it's, it's like, we're, I, I don't even know how we, 
how we figure this out. But we, I think, but I think it's it's, it's going to be cool because it's like I have some of the responsibility, but not all the responsibility. So I feel yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I just want to chat. Um, <clears throat> I I've got some questions I'd like to ask you. I'm sure you've got a couple of questions for me, but I like doing the swap cast, scratch each other's back, and uh, everybody wins. Yeah, I mean, so I was just kind of like perusing some some of your shows. And it seems like you do a, a good portion of your shows. It's just you, right? Kind of just going off the cuff or hitting hitting topics. Yeah, part of the reason I called the podcast Riffs or Dies because it's just me riffing on ideas half of the time. Yeah. No, and it, obviously, riffs. I love riffs. Well, the thing is, but keep in mind, a lot of people can't really do that. You, you know, that's kind of a unique talent, even in the the podcasting radio sphere of just broadcasting sphere of people who can just talk. (laughs) Not everyone has that ability. Yeah. I had to learn that skill. It's definitely taken some time to hone in on that. And I've gotten better with time. I'm still not perfect at it, but it's, uh, it's harder than it appears when you listen to people like Bill Burr or uh, other podcasters that just talk to themselves like crazy people. Well, they, he has a little advantage being a standard comedian. It's his, it's just talking is his, his profession. So he, yeah, he's well practiced. So what, why did you, why did you decide to start a podcast? Um, you know, COVID happened. It's something that I had wanted to do. I had thought about doing a podcast for a long time because I have a lot of ideas that I can expand on that I write into lyrics and Havoc songs, but I feel like a lot of the ideas that I write about in songs can definitely be elaborated on um, into a conversational topic or something to rant about like a crazy person, <laughs> which I do often, but uh, <clears throat> it's something I wanted to do for a long time. And then COVID hit all my tours, you know, uh, evaporated and it gave me a good excuse to finally get the thing off the ground. Yeah. The, listen, I'll, for COVID, you know, the, the rockers and podcast island was a pretty small island. Now it's a big, it's, we've expanded the island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think podcasts, more and more people are listening to them. Yeah. And I think naturally more and more of them will pop up. But I think it's good because it's a, a great way in many cases to get outside of, of uh, censorship. And, and there's no like FCC rules. We can say fuck piss cunt cocksucker motherfucker and tits all we want and uh it's just a cool unfiltered way to have a conversation i know that this has been talked about ad nauseum by guys like joe rogan but you can have a long-form conversation with no hey we gotta cut to commercial break there's none of that kind of filtration going on so i think it's a cool it's a cool new new way to produce and and consume media it's like talk radio but with people that you actually already had heard of and are already a fan of you know not just some like square and a tie who has a law degree talking uh, on the airwaves yeah i mean i i think there's definitely kind of in my opinion a bit of a, a cross section between the podcasting realm the streaming realm right people who do live streams and and people on twitch and things like that essentially just creating our own little avenues into our interests our personalities uh issues we we want to talk about and it's 
and it's so, so so to me it's like not this surprise that it's expanding because it's it's to some degree people want to like say hey this is what i'm about here's my shit right maybe that it, it may be 10 years ago that was a blog but now sure. expanded in in into this kind of thing you know and there's a truman show kind of element to it whether that's the type of people who engage with social media in a way where nothing they do is, is essentially private right their whole life is hey i'm over here i'm doing i'm, I'm doing this or streaming and stuff so I, I listen i it's no surprise to me that it's i i look at it as just a extension of expression right like i don't know if it's necessarily art but it's certainly expression <laughs> yeah it's borderline art i mean the way it can be. Like you, yeah, like the way you were talking about stand-up comedians, they're very art, artful. And and uh, the way that they are able to transfer an idea from their brain into someone else's brain often is very masterful, especially when you're talking about the greats of stand-up like George Carlin or Bill Burr, Joe Rogan. I, I, think, uh, I think a lot of the greatest stand-ups ever are still alive right now. And it's really cool that some of them have podcasts and you can uh, get a better understanding of how their brain works off of the stage, which is something that before the internet, there was mystique to artists and you didn't know what they were like off stage other than in the seldom interviews you would see or listen to. Now with social media and stuff, a lot of that mystique is kind of gone. That veil of mystery has been lifted in a lot of ways. Yeah. I listen, I'm, I hear that. I think there's positives and negatives to that, right? Like, sure. Slayer, for example, like they never did that Slayer documentary. They were always, you know, otherworldly figures, you know, um, tool, right? You, they're still, I mean, we kind of have an idea, you know, like uh, Maynard will go on Rogan or something and kind of talk about stuff. But but that's, I like the bands where that still exists to some degree, like Ghost or something, you know, it's, it's still pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's got like an old... Uh vintage feeling to it <laughs> so um outside of just just the the podcast realm i mean music wise i mean how is uh i really enjoyed the last album by the way i was just i was actually just listening to it five or yeah. v. i don't know if you v like the tv show from the <laughs> yeah it's in it's intentionally ambiguous so people can call it v or five yeah um but it, i guess it came out like maybe not, it was not at the beginning of the pandemic, but it's not like you got really to do a full touring cycle to really promote the record and kind of everything. I mean, was that pretty underwhelming? I mean, what's the, what's the, the, the guy, you guys do a new record during the break or like what's going on? Well, V came out on May 1st, 2020. So right in the middle of lockdowns. So it was, so you know what? I got all skewed around because I heard the record at Mark Lewis's place while I was still on tour. So I guess in my mind, it came out before the... Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, and you guys have worked with Mark as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, God forbid worked with Mark. Uh, Battles worked with Mark. Sweet. Hell yeah. Uh, he's got a great ear. I learned a lot of good little tricks from uh, from Mark, and, and we laughed a lot. And uh, But anyway, with V, it came out May 1st, 2020, right in the middle of pandemic, and we were supposed to hit the road with Hatebreed, that day and do a, a couple weeks and then do another tour immediately after and then do festivals in Europe right after that. And all of that stuff got wiped away naturally. And, uh, you know, 
when the pandemic lockdowns started in March of 2020, we were asked like, okay, we can still just stick with the May 1st release date or we push it back. And then there's a big question mark on it and it might come out in the fall. It might come out in 2021. It might come out in 2022. So because there was that big question mark on it and it was basically explained to us, either it comes out on the date we already had planned on, or we don't know when, when it comes out. And all of us were like, all right, well, let's just put it out when it was supposed to. I mean, do, do you feel it took a hit or it got the attention? Cause I think to some degree, some albums almost got more attention because there was less albums out. Less albums out and people had free time. Yeah. People had time to go and check it out. So um, since it came out, our numbers have gone up and they, they've been steady. It's not like they just spiked right when the album came out and then they dipped again. Our, our numbers have, have been better ever since. So I, I think it was a good move to put it out. And if anything, it's just going to make people more foaming at the mouth to see us live and play those songs when we finally do get to go out and play. Do you have uh, are you guys like prepared to go out or is it 2022? What's, what's the deal? I'm not sure yet, but I think 2022 is probably the safer bet. What about you guys? Uh, essentially bad wolves right now isn't we're putting out a record, but we're not playing right now. So there's things, legal things have to be worked out. <laughs> Oh, okay. So we we thought we were going to be able to do some stuff. We had some stuff booked, but it we had to kind of put it on the put it on the shelf temporarily until some things got worked out. But I'm I'm kind of okay with it, even though I'm like I'm definitely ready to play, just because I'm just bored. I want to I want to go out. Yeah, you know, I miss the action. <laughs> I need some sure. Action. Uh, yeah. But it's more about. Uh, even if we're not touring, at least I, th that way I can work on other things. I've, you know, my foot in hand in a lot of different projects. So it's like in some, some degree to be able to put a record out, promote it, and then work on other stuff. It might be the best of both worlds and we'll see, we'll see, but you know, definitely be nice to, you know, make a living on the road. That would help. Now I gotta figure things out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Definitely. <laughs> um, so I was listening to your records uh, again this week and the leads on the records are really, really sick. Is that you on all of them? Um, for Bad Wolves? Yeah. It depends on the song. Um, on the last record, Nation, Chris, our other guitar player, really stepped up as kind of a co-lead guitar player. So so on that record, we, we kind of split them up. And then the first record... I did a couple, so it really depends on on the track, and and there's even some other songs where we might work with some other songwriters where someone else just happened to play the lead. So it depends on the song. But Chris is sick. He's a he is a really really good guitar player, and uh, and on the new record that's yet to release, I did twice three times solos on the other records. I guess maybe the songs are a little more uh, metallic oriented. I don't know, but it just it just it just turned out. So sometimes it's who's ever vibing something. And I, and I, I forget what happened in the last record, but there was a couple of leads where uh, John, our, our drummer who writes a lot of songs was, he was, he just gave this, he gave the leads to, to Chris. And I was a little bummed out when I found out. And then when I heard what he did, I was like, eh, yeah, yeah, he, he killed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good feeling. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, 
it's been a real evolution with me uh, with lead guitar because in God forbid, I was, you know, the de facto lead guitar player because just, I just gravitated more towards that. And I expressed myself that way. And my brother would do a lead here or there, um, some of the early records, but then he kind of tended to veer away from it. And then on the last record, we had Matt Wickland join the band and he's an incredible lead guitar player. So then he probably did a little more solos than I did on the last record. So I've always been this thing of like, I can play lead and I enjoy it, but it's this thing where I'm almost every time it's time to make a new solo. I feel like I don't know how to write a solo. Like <laughs> it's because it's, it's so hard, right. To do something fresh or feel like it hasn't been done. If you're using similar chord progressions or similar, it's, you know, it's, it's very hard to reinvent the wheel and not feel like you're just um, rehashing things. And I always want it to feel fresh. I always want it to feel like I'm doing something new or doing something exciting, you know, and that's, you know, instead of just being uh, on a hamster wheel. Yeah. You get like uh, option paralysis <clears throat> sometimes, especially when writing a brand new solo, like it's a totally open slate. You can do anything. And I, I can understand, uh, how it's sometimes difficult to get something going. One of the tricks that I learned a long time ago, and I've put it into practice a few times and it worked out really well is, um, George Benson, the mm -hmm. amazing jazz guitar player. He said that with his solos, he almost never starts it with the root note. And I've done that a few times and it yielded some really cool results. Like, because then the beginning of your solo doesn't, sound normal you know there's unexpected notes going on so sometimes i'll start it on a third or a fifth or you know just some note that's not the root can, can yield some good stuff yeah i've been doing you know because i back in the day it's like I'd, I'd, I'd write a solo on my own on a four track or get an idea down and then go into a studio and, and track it and it kind of, and sometimes work out sometimes wouldn't but lately i've basically been doing all my solos at home so I can really take my time with them. And sure. I've been experimenting with just improving and just getting 20 different takes or something and then just cutting it together and and like, and then you put it together and it becomes almost way cooler than anything you could have planned. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've, been, we've done similar stuff to that. You know, so it's, 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 it's an evolution and, and I'm also a lot more, I think free-minded now than I was in, in terms of just I, operating with less fear, operating with uh, being kind of more comfortable with who I am as a player and not trying to like keep up with the Joneses in terms of technicality or showing off and, and having to be a little bit more about feel and vibe and emotion. And, you know, because I, I just think at some point the technical level of some of these players now are so high you really can't compete with them on those on that terminology right so right. Mm -hmm. let me just do the coolest thing i can do let me do what's what fits my personality as opposed to trying to be as fast this person or or fit in as many techniques as as this person and at a certain point like you're the way you emote as a player is just kind of going to represent itself yeah and melody goes a long way where uh <clears throat> where some players lack in technicality, they make up for it in melody and, and melodic phrasing. And I mean, 
it might be harder to play something that's technically blistering, but the thing that's going to get stuck in someone's head is the simple melodic stuff. Yeah. And then of course it's always great. We can kind of do both, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's the, uh, <laughs> that's the Holy grail. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of my favorite players, be it Marty Friedman or Friedman's Randy, the best Randy Rhodes. Um, they never lost the hook. They never lost the melody. And they also knew how to kind of turn up the, the uh, adrenaline on it and, and do something technically interesting and captivating because ultimately it's not what's happening. It's like, how does it sound? Right. Does yeah. It, does it sound cool. Is it, is it, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, and me, me too, as a, as a player, you know, coming from a more extreme metal background, I've spent years unlearning things I learned, you know, and, and getting more into, you know, like in like the 2010s, I started getting really more into hard rock and rock music in general and realized I was this, I was good at what I did as, you know, kind of almost a thrash metal based metal guitar player, but it was, I was limited, you know, and I was like, I need to like get out of my, my comfort zone, you know, and kind of, okay, what, why can this player over here just play a few notes and it sounds so great? And right. I feel like I need to compensate and fill up that space with noise, you know? So it's, so it's kind of like, and that's why on the new battles record, there's a handful of solos that are extremely simple, but it took me a long time just to get there to kind of declutter and go, okay, it doesn't need all that. It's actually distracting. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And, and sometimes you don't realize that unless you listen back to it, like you were saying, you're doing solos at home and you have a little more time to, to work out the kinks. I find on some of our records, um, you know, at the, at the time it was tracked, I was like, Oh, cool. And then upon listening back, I'm like, fuck, I should have like made this part a little simpler. It would have been easier to play live. It would have been, uh, you know, release tension on my right picking hand it would have sounded better and uh, you know, let the music breathe more. <clears throat> and that's something you don't really get in, until you can take a step back. It's like a, a painter, you know, working on some giant uh, mural. You, you need to take a few steps back and look at the whole thing to see how it's all flowing. Yeah. I also have a lot more different types of guitars now. So I'll try the same solo with four or five different guitars and, and cool. or even I'll, pick a guitar that's tuned differently and all of a sudden it'll make you completely think about where you're going and just the tonality of a particular instrument will bring different things out of you or the way a, a certain guitar plays and oh i'll try it in this pickup or hey let me try it with this effect let me you know sure. just really just kind of go nuts with options and then sometimes when you you play something eight different ways at least it tells you what you don't want Sometimes, yeah absolutely you know you start kind of okay i think this is this seems to be working the most and i i've really started uh, you know just experimenting with effects you know like i did some stuff with uh putting a delay um in front in the front chain right instead of in the effects loop and that hits it hits it completely different you get a more kind of um hard hard delay that feels rhythmic and so, so just just little things like okay what let me get a slide out what what can i you know just trying different things because it's if you're doing so many of these things what can you do to make it stand out what can really just playing with with sonics and and being as i just want it to be as creative as 
as as possible you know turn into a regular tom morello <laughs> no I, listen i've always been you know to me like that's the beauty of the 90s in general with whether it's morello or the corn guys um you know i was really into a lot of kind of spacier stuff that came out of like the hardcore metalcore scene like bands like Caven did really amazing things with with effects and Glassjaw did really cool things with effects uh, or even and people kind of forget dime was always super creative and, and would do things even though technically he could do just about anything he would just do strange things sometimes just yeah. the tonality just like oh what is look there's that one solo on a on Great Southern Train Kill, one of the last songs where it almost sounds like a a fiddle or something. I forget which 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 track it is, but he makes it sound like a violin. Like, you know, just- he, he used a lot of like uh, one thing that. Well, obviously the whammy pedal. He he made every <laughs> metal dude want one of those. But uh, <clears throat> something that I find that he used a lot was like a fast rate chorus or a flanger. Yeah. which you don't hear that much in, in bands like that. Um, and then you heard bands like corn and stuff, making that, that sound really famous, but some of you guys' stuff riff wise and tone wise reminds me a lot of later Pantera. Yeah. I, I called, uh, the, the bad wolf sound, which I did not create. It was really John and this guy, Max Karen, who's, you know, started the band before I joined. And a lot of the tone, especially the tone of it, was Max, you know, and, uh, and he still works on our records. He's kind of like the, the sixth member, kind of the George, the George Martin of, uh, of Bad Wolves. I, yeah. I called it Gent Terra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like. You, you guys' first record especially yeah. reminds me like Pantera, Mashuga, Gojira. Yeah, it's a, listen, it's a, it's a cool sound that, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I don't take credit for it, but it's, mm. it's, it's fascinating when you're when you start tuning that guitar down right like because you do lose there's certain things you lose uh tone wise tuning down in terms of tightness and the way the guitar cuts because uh traditionally in hard rock and metal the guitar is a mid-range instrument yeah absolutely and then when you tune it down that low it really changes the kind of frequency range that it can exist in, right? And if you tune out, we tune out in G, if you pump too much mid-range in there, sometimes it can sound almost honky. Like it's like, it's like a little, it's just some, It's just not quite as pleasing. So it's this weird idea of, I've, I've noticed uh, the younger generation, kids who grew up on, you know, I don't know how you are, old art, but I'm 40 and me, I, the way I perceive metal is coming out of the Megadeths and the Metallicas and things like that. But if you grew up on Slipknot and Corn, your whole relationship with the way a guitar is supposed to sound is different. Way different, yeah. Um, and it's and and I actually think that's a big reason why Bad Wolves kind of translated the way it did was that young younger people really process these riffs as more of a bass frequency, and and there's more of a consistency consistency between that style of metal hip-hop and electronic music yeah like this real um certain type of relationship with low end and sure group, right and 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 that kind of is like the dividing line between a an quote-unquote old school sound and a modern sound so it's so just for me i had to learn the bad wolf style 
right? Like, like it's a, it, it's a vibe. It's a certain type of, of right hand technique with muting and kind of being, you know, being able to control these much bigger strings. Like I use like a, a 70 gauge on like my low. Holy <laughs> oh my God. Is this a seven string? Yeah. So, okay. but we're basically, uh, we're one, we're a half note off of being what would be an eight string. If you, if you got an eight string in standard tuning, I believe the low note is an F sharp. So Just we're all, tune it up a half step. Yeah. So we're almost an eight string range, but using a, a seven string, but you know, so it's, you know, it's a, like I said, it's been an education. <laughs> yeah. I, I can imagine. I always have a hard time playing seven strings. Um, I just, I've only messed around with them. I've never like had one to actually play on. And man, it fucks me up having that extra string down there. Different. It's really is a different instrument um, because there's a whole series of techniques that work. There's certain types of, you could have a riff, right? That you play on a six string and certain tuning and then you transpose that. And all of a sudden it becomes a different thing. It's just, it, it's, um, and I think it's kind of cool. Like I, like I, I don't have an eight string and I'm kind of, because I think a lot of the ideas around some of this stuff is expanding on heaviness, right? Like really exploring, okay, what is heavy and how can we push that? And in the, in the kind of almost sports-like competition way, I think metal musicians approach this, I think, think it hit a point of diminishing returns. Like I'm sure you've heard this where some bands, they tune so low, now it actually doesn't sound heavy anymore. Fires. <laughs> Uh, like it's something like it because it loses punch it loses impact right sure yeah yeah i totally get that like it was like with mashuga where they were using seven strings and it was very uh palm mute kind of very, you know uh syncopated picking oriented yeah. and once they started using eight strings they almost stopped doing that because it doesn't sound good it sounds flubby so it, it went to a lot of these more open note single note do, 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 you know because that was a way of using the power of those notes to make it actually sound heavy you know sure. so I, I wonder what uh it, it's kyle right bass player yeah so i was hanging out with him he was playing for devin townsend on the seventy thousand tons of metal cruise and i met him out there um do you have any idea off the top of your head how fat his bottom bass string is he was, he was telling me it's something like a 170 or something. Holy crazy. good I God. Be, I could be wrong about that. It's something really, really heavy. But he's been playing, you know, extended range guitars, bass guitars for a long time. The band he was in previously, Scar the Martyr, which changed the name to Vimic, was using eight strings for some mm -hmm. of their songs. So he was even lower than we are now. <laughs> uh, so... And, and it really is a, a process of figuring out what works. And he's a super gearhead. Every week he has a new pedal or a new bass that he's trying out to, to just figure out how to make it sound good in that range. And, and that's something I have to say about, about the band is we put a, a lot of time uh, into our rigs over the years of tr constantly trying to work around the edges to get it to sound better. Cause it is, it, like I said, it's, especially in live arenas, when you're tuning low, you take low tuning plus speed plus distortion. Yeah. The recipe basically to sound bad. <laughs> and yeah, 
especially when you're playing, you know, like a, a big arena or something with a lot of um, reverb, you know, natural reverb in a, in a room. So, and I think we, we did a, a very good job of constantly trying to just improve it, get more clarity, get more, um, so you can hear the picking attack. You can hear the intricacies of, of what we're doing. And a lot of that too is also uh, developing your m- music so that you can hear a lot of that stuff. And I'm sure you've been in this with some sure. songs that are so technical, the details are lost live. And you realize, you know what? Sometimes simplicity works the best. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, when it comes to like fast details, I feel like drums come across well live, but guitars get lost really easily, especially distorted guitars. And I think that's part of the reason Gojira is so sick live because a lot of the drums are fast and, and uh, kind of all over the place and the guitars are fairly simple and heavy. And that shit always just translates so perfectly live. And, and talking about making the band sound better, um, I've always looked at it like this. If everybody in the band tweaks their gear or, or gets the right gear to make, you know, the, the symbols, you get a different symbol. It makes your symbols sound 5% better. Try a different drum head. It makes your drum sound 5% better. All of those little tiny 5% all around throughout the whole entire band makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, even 5% is a dramatic change. If you had something that sounded 5% better, that's a massive improvement. That's miles. And, and I, so I think if you're starting with something that's already good, it's even more incremental than that. But every yeah. every little bit, and uh, it's something you co- you constantly have to be working on, I think, in every aspect of your performance, right? Whether yeah. your stage presence or your light show or the, you know, the way you transition from one song to the other, uh, just every, everything like, you know, and me, and this is so, as someone who like you is had the good fortune to tour with incredible bands that have had long careers. And you, I try and study every day and see, man, what does this band do? Great. What is, oh, what are they doing? And, it's, and you just try and learn. And, and cause you, to be at that level, you really have to push, you know, push, push where you're at and, and keep improving. Yeah, one little degree of variation makes a huge difference. Like on a big journey with a boat, you know? Yeah. You start off going one degree the wrong direction, you're going to wind up way off course, constantly redirecting it towards the uh, the, the shared goal. I, I, I wanted to ask you this, because some of the lyrics in Bad Wolf songs and some of the lyrics in God Forbid songs um, remind me of topics that I sing about in Havoc. Do you have anything to do with the lyrics? Uh, I mean, it depends which song. I mean, Bad Wolves. I'm try- like it. It's really like I was. I'm not a massive contributor, so it really depends which song. Um, but I think more of the politically minded stuff in Bad Wolves is definitely Tommy. Um, and God forbid was you know like antihero. I co-wrote songs like Crucifier Police. I mean, God forbid back to back records were essentially anti-war records you know um you know we were really kind of speaking our mind about you know the conflict that was going on uh, you know we're talking 2004 2005 and i it's still going on <laughs> yeah um you know so and, and so i've been so- someone that's always been very politically and socially engaged and um 
you know, with and with Bad Wolves, like I said, it was a situation where I think some of the stuff was it wasn't super overt, you know. Um, and obviously, Tommy's kind of gone in some other direction that is complete opposite of 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 where I, I'm at. Um, but the funny thing is, like with God forbid, I mean, if you were to talk to each of us about our particular political views, it was a spectrum, right? It wasn't just everyone believed one thing. Um, and I think that's great. You know, like, I think it's perfectly fine to have, a, you know, especially in an in a environment where everyone can talk about what they think and actually talk with each other, right? And actually, hey, I think this and, oh, uh, you know, and you, you talk about things and actually, and you don't walk away with it, like, pissed off at somebody, even if you have different viewpoints. Um, and I think that's really something that's been lost in many in, in in many ways, our ability to kind of discuss these things in a way that's respectful. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is due to the fact that it's not in person. And then, you know, you see today we have all of this really divisive, crazy shit going on in our, I mean, the whole, whole world, but let's just say in the U.S. where we live. Um, I find it very interesting that that now things are so polarized and polarizing and at the same time, you know, the powers that be have kept people separated and made it so they're not allowed to meet up in the bar to talk about these things. So they're not allowed to meet up in a restaurant or to go in the park. And uh, things are opening up slowly um, today. But, you know, during the beginning of this, no one could meet up in person and have a conversation about stuff like this. It's only online. And online, a lot of people get really brave behind a keyboard and say shit that they would never say to a person to their face. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I think so, to some degree that's true. Um, I think I think if you you've seen, I, you know, people have been acting the fool now that things are starting to open up. So I, and you you see some of the confrontations between like, you know, maybe. A white, a white nationalist group and 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 a far left anti type group and they're fighting they're saying crazy things i think people are pretty bold in person actually now <laughs> so i i think it's more about you know online spaces and how people interact there is more about uh echo chambers right primarily surrounding themselves with people that already agree with them uh and i think most a lot of most people are kind of guilt, guilty of this. Um, but I think it's more about media diet. And and I, uh, you use a word like divisiveness. I think, A, I think probably half the people that actually care about this stuff or talk about it don't care about, the, they don't regard divisiveness as being a bad thing, one. And the people that do regard it as a bad thing do, don't actually realize how they're culpable in creating more divisiveness. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's a kind of, and to me, that's the number one issue more than anything. But for most people, that's not their number one issue. Their issue is whatever, you know, some people it's wokeness. I got to stop wokeness. That's my number one issue. Some people, it's, I got to stop white supremacy. That's my number one issue. Some people, it's the environment. Some people, it's voting rights, whatever someone's something someone something that galvanizes everything uh it's it's interesting like uh, i was listening to your record and like you had a lyric where you're saying like the enemy is is not overseas basically the enemy enemy is not coming from overseas yeah yeah but like that's something that idea 
I think most people that are especially partisan uh, figures, which is probably half or more more people that are they care about politics, they agree with you. But that's not a good thing. That's how civil wars happen. Is by thinking that your your fellow countrymen or your enemy yeah. is a fundamentally scary place to be. Yeah, for sure. And this is where I was talking about, uh, you know, the divisiveness uh, of of uh, our our situation right now. It's that people are divided against one another. It's the old ancient tactic of divide and conquer. Uh, it seems like the people that are pulling the levers of power in our society have have pitted neighbor against neighbor so that we don't all get along on some core issues that supersede the small things that divide us. Because if we were to get together on core issues with people who are, you know, our political opponents or whatever, the way people look at it, uh, the game would be over for the people that are running the show really quickly. So you, you use these terms, you know, like people in power, Mm -hmm. who are these people that you're talking about? Well, I mean, there's the big, as Carlin said, the big wealthy business interests that own all the important land, the the people that fund education, people that fund the the medical uh, education and medical industry, um, the people that run the newsrooms, the people that profiteer off of illegal wars. You know, these are the people that I would consider the they that I'm talking about, the people that are really making the decisions. Well, so I'm a huge Carlin guy myself. Um, really helped shape shape my philosophy. Yeah, but I same. Find the fact the fact that Carlin is dead and no longer here to kind of speak for himself. Sometimes I feel like his philosophies decontextualized from his era do not really speak to the unique nature of this time. Um, and I think presuming to know how he would necessarily think about this time, I think is a little presumptuous. Presuming presumptuous, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, but um, I, you know, I think we have so much confusion about this stuff, and I, and and and, you know, like I've I've gone from I've existed in a lot of different uh, paradigms, right? Like understanding the world a certain way, right? Like I think I was the I was the guy after nine eleven wa- watching those like. Uh, loose change videos, right? And discovering, you know, that was like kind of the burgeoning of a guy like Alex Jones. And over, over the years, I've, I've gone much more in, in, the, in the opposite direction um, because I think, unfortunately, you know, when we get into the idea of they, right? It tends to connect dots that aren't necessarily connected. And that power, money and power have always had money and power, right? There's no difference now like, like b- between people that are able to kind of be at the tops of these things, but things are not quite, in, in, in many ways, things are way less centralized than they used to be, right? So at the time Carl was talking about this stuff in the eighties, there was like three networks and it was like two cable news channels. But now there's, there really isn't anything as centralized information, right? Cause everyone goes to their own silo and, and says, well, I'm just going to listen to Ben Shapiro. He's going to be the guy that's going to tell me. Or I'm just going to listen to the Young Turks. And they're going to tell me what I think. Or I'm just going to listen to... On the internet, it's a lot more open, like you're describing. But as far as what's on television airwaves, it is super centralized. But, 
but most people do not get their their news from television. More Thank than- God. <laughs> well, no, but 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 I think, but even that, like, okay, and this is what, what I'm saying, where conspiratorial thinking fails, in that it paints a broad brush that actually alleviates you from thinking more in a way. So if I say everything that the you know cable news says is right, right? Look, I'll pick any channel, right? Mm-hmm. Now clearly I'm wrong. But but that alleviates me of thinking. But if I say everything they say is wrong, that is equally as unintelligent. It allows me not to think. The truth sure. it's, you know, w- most of these programs, mm-hmm. the problem is, like I said, this is, this is media literacy. People have an inability to tell the difference between, like, uh, the 3 p.m. CNN newscast, where they're actually just doing hard news, and then... Anderson Cooper or Chris Cuomo, who do opinion uh, opinion shows that analyze news. So essentially, yeah. they'll talk about a topic, and then they'll give you their their thoughts about it, and they'll bring in a panel and they'll they give their thoughts about it. That's not news. That's an opinion show about news. That's like saying, you know, you know, when they have a you know, and, and Sports Center and like ESPN is the best corollary, right? Because you have that one part, you have Sports Center where they just say, oh, the Lakers won the game and LeBron James had 30 points and that's the news. Yeah. You know, when <laughs> Stephen A. Smith to come tell you his thoughts about the game, that's not news. <laughs> now that's opinion. But yeah, you think the opinion part is news, that's on you. That's yeah, not for sure. So, so now when they, and if we understand, right, if I turn on CNN, I know, they're pretty anti-Trump. So I kind of, I can use my brain to go, I get their angle. Or I can turn on Fox News and I go, okay, I understand their angle. So it's not, so I understand that they're not, it's not like you go on Fox News, no, nine times out of 10 times, they're going to tell you something that's de- de- deliberately false, unless it's on one of the opinion shows, which is just that. It's just an opinion. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm thankful that people like yourself are out there that understand the difference. Unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people that, that don't. And uh, part of what triggered our, our conversation and setting this up was you were wearing a They Live t-shirt. They Live with Rowdy Roddy Piper, the uh, John Carpenter movie, one of my favorite movies ever. And I often feel like we're kind of living in, uh, in a world like that, like that movie. It's not not too far off from real life. Well, but my problem with these um, metaphors and the thing is, you know, they live in particular. It's not like um, there's some mercurial idea of what this movie is about. <coughs> John Carpenter will tell you this movie is a commentary about Reagan era greed. Yeah. Right? It is very distinct. But yeah. the problem is whether it's they live, whether it's the Matrix, whether it's the Fight Club people will take a piece of art and commentary and place it on whatever philosophy is convenient for them. Um, and so the thing is, I think, I, I think to, to, to some degree, like some of the stuff is just inevitable, right? Like the way technology moves forward, right? With the way, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because science fiction, I'm a big sci-fi guy and all this stuff could predict certain things, right? But it can never really predict social media. 
in the exact way that it that it is, right? Like the way it would change our minds or the way it would change the way we absorb information. And the mm-hmm. truth is, most of this stuff is not they, it's us. Like it's, it's we are the purveyors of our own demise in many ways. It's, it's I think it's less, um, you know, I, I just go against the idea in many ways of centralized power. I think individuals actually have more individual power now to do things than they've ever had. So I think there's, there's certain examinations of like, oh, we're losing freedom of speech. I'm like, well, what was freedom of speech do for you in 1942, right? Where could you go with your freedom of speech? You could literally take your ass on the corner on the literal soapbox and talk some shit and four people would hear it and no one cared, right? Yeah. But now you can make a YouTube video and 80 million people can see it. So, and back then it's like George Carlin was literally getting arrested for obscenity laws. Um, yeah, he was in the back of the police car with the Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce was literally getting arrested NWA literally got arrested for talking about killing the cops. Two Live Crew literally got arrested for obscenity. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, you have situations like um, Nurgle from Behemoth is being taken to court for, uh, you know... Um, blasphemy, right? Blasphemy laws in Poland and or like, you know, bands like Pussy Riot in Russia being thrown in jail for you know doing things against the church and and to me people conflating being kicked off twitter because you use the n-word is the same shit and it's just not and i think that's an inability like i we gotta get out of this hyperbole chain we're very lucky that we live in this country where we have the first amendment because many many countries most i think in this world don't have freedom of speech I think free speech is uh, anomalous to the U.S. Well, unf- like in the way in which our free speech, you know, our, our First Amendment is kind of interpreted. Um, but by the way, same thing with with the Second Amendment and the way we interpret gun laws are, are pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and same thing with, you know, whether you're in you know, uh, Western Europe, they don't, they don't have all the things. There's a lot of things you can't say, um, you know, um, anti-Semitic things in Germany. It's illegal, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in my, in my, my thoughts, like I said, I, I used to be a free speech fundamentalist and I've backed off on some of that because I equate speech now to like, uh, it's powerful in a way it's never been, you know? And, I think it's in, in some ways we, we don't, the, the fact that a, an idea is the most dangerous thing in the world. All right. Like we fought the cold war for however many years because of an idea that communism was so destructive, right? We got to go into Korea and we got to do this. We got to go into Vietnam because we are so worried about the spread of an idea. And I think there's this lack of, um, kind of understanding the through line between saying on one hand free speech is the most important thing we got to keep everything free but also this one these ideas are so dangerous i have to do everything to stop them 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. That's why, yeah, that's why I personally think <clears throat> that all ideas, even stupid ones, should, should be allowed to be expressed because then you can compare a stupid idea to a good idea. And if there's, you know, that's, that's the value of debate. Well, but okay. But, and the, but here's the problem in this realm, we see how things, these things play out. What, because the, the truth is in our, in most societies where you have some amount of freedom, it's a choice between one, if, if, if on one end of the spectrum, you have 100% freedom, right? Everything mm-hmm. goes. And on one hand, you have 100% domineering society where you can't do anything right it was what was it like singapore or something where if you like spit on the street they like whip you or something <laughs> yeah like, it's singapore yeah so there's 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 far into the spectrum where like duterte how he'll like you know execute drug dealers and things like that right yeah now we understand that for certain things for freedom we that we create a certain amount of danger right cars for example we we understand that x amount of people every year are going to die or be injured for cars but we know that it's such an advantage to society to for people to be able to move around to be able to move goods to be able to go to work to be able to just do shit that we're willing to get to make that give up that one thing but but doesn't mean we don't make cars safer create seatbelt laws put in standards right and and if you look now about half as many people die in car crashes they did 40 years ago. But people had to make that happen, right? For sure. Yeah. And and your your underlying point, I, I totally agree with that freedom is dangerous and slavery, if you want ultimate safeties, go to solitary confinement in the prison. Slavery is safe. Or not even but 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 slave but safe slavery, even the term uh invokes the idea that there is another force putting you in slavery you don't have to you can just you don't have to be enslaved you could just not leave the house and you'll be safe right you can just never do shit and like i said you'll be safe it doesn't even need to take someone to do it to you yeah my point is just that it's the opposite of freedom yeah well yeah so there's always some trade-off with 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 that in either way we go right um so but 
I, I believe with speech, speech is compelling. Speech is how you motivate people. Like uh, the Rwandan genocide, for example, the way the Rwandan genocide happened was through the radio. And propaganda was put out there to dehumanize a certain group of, of, of people. And those people were murdered en masse. And yeah, so ideas can change the world. But that's what I'm saying. So if so, we can have an ideal, which is freedom of speech is this wonderful thing and it's ugly and it's crazy, but we want to keep that. But if we don't actually recognize that taken to its logical extreme, like if someone goes, if some if the most popular person on the internet just goes up there and says, hey, if you drink bleach, it'll fucking make your, your dick grow and make your pussy shine, right? And just 1% of the people that listen to it believe that and 100,000 people die or something. Is that cool? Are we cool with that? Well, and that's where, where normally free speech is restricted. Is I, <clears throat> I, I'm personally of the belief of just... I think you should be free to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't infringe on the rights of others. But and, but we need but what I'm saying is if you have a populace that's mm -hmm. not smart enough or informed enough to know don't listen to the guy telling you to swallow bleach and obviously this is a this is a you know hypothetical situation. No, I like this hypothetical. Um it's what I'm saying is we're confronting how an ideal runs into the practical problems of a real world and that freedom of speech now is vastly, vastly, vast. I mean, hundreds and thousands of times more powerful than it was a hundred years ago. And if we don't recognize that and at least go, hey, really crazy things could happen. Then you're basically saying, you know what? People die, fucking people die and I don't give a shit. But you gotta at least say that. Like you can't, you can't have both things exist at the same time. You know, it, it, there's a part of it. There's a certain callousness built within that, that we got to confront. You can't, you can't pretend to have both. And, and either one is a trade-off, right? Cause if you're totally in the side of, I want nothing, no harm to ever come to people, then you're probably going to end up in a society that has very little freedom. But if you're 100% the idea that there's more freedom, you're going to live in a really dangerous place. It's like, like you ever been fucking uh, like uh, was it uh, New Orleans like on Bourbon Street like in a weird part of the night when it's like five in the morning and it's just absolute mayhem in the streets. You're like, yo, I feel like a riot could break out. I feel like I could get raped. I could get stabbed. I'm like, sometimes you, I look at that shit. I'm like, yo, these motherfuckers got too much freedom down here. This shit is this shit is too crazy for me. <laughs> I think it was uh, <clears throat> Thomas Jefferson said something to the effect of, I can't remember the exact quote, but something to the effect of, I'd rather be exposed to the problems attended to too much freedom than not enough of it. Yeah, listen, and, and, and in many ways, you know, I think, and I think that's the appeal of libertarianism, right? Is, you know, and I, in that, I think the people that tend to really gravitate towards that are usually pretty well adjusted. There are people that kind of have their head on their shoulders and they go, well, I kind of have it together. I can responsibly handle my freedoms. Well, the truth is everyone isn't like that, right? Like they don't put the warning labels on the back of shit for the smart people. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like there's, yeah. 
there's so many rules that exist <laughs> because like one person fucked up <laughs> you yeah. know one person you know or a lot of people ate the tide pods right it wasn't just one uh <laughs> um you know so it's it's <laughs> interesting thing you know but i i um i just think it's really important to understand we're just we're just in a very unique period of time and i think we all have to be flexible uh with our ideas because some of them are like i said if if, if they exist in a bubble and you can't actually apply it to actual reality it turns out some of these things are just way more complex than that we got to go in and go okay well, should I re-examine that? How, how do I think about this? Is 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 a principle just a principle? If it can't ever be enacted in reality, right? Like, like, like that's why some of these hypotheticals you almost have to talk about to their logical extreme because like, for example, like the idea of, like there's a big debate not right now. I mean, it's I guess it, it's been going on forever about the idea of the, the second amendment, what, weapons does it give you the right to own right can you own a tank can you own a nuke can you own chemical weapons right and there's some like logical ideas well no i mean not that stuff but some people believe you probably should be able to own that stuff because if the idea is i'm trying to stop a tyrannical government right so theoretically i need the same weapons that the army has and it's funny like biden got in trouble for this recently saying like well you're supposed to give people nukes or something and then and it was interpreted Biden wants to nuke people, which was, I think, pretty bad faith. Um, he was just saying that if the people had the same capability as the army to actually physically fight the army, then the pe then people sh basically should have nukes. If well, <clears throat> I, just for historical perspective, when when the country was founded, the the people that overthrew the government did have the same weapons as the military who I, occupied the land. Which is why the idea of it is actually absurd. Right. It's a, it's absurd when it comes to nukes. I think that might be a little extreme, but, but uh, like, he was even saying like F 18s, right? Like if who the you, fuck is going to buy one of those, no, but no, but the point is, is when you actually play it out, when mm -hmm. you, like, you have the ideal, which is we have arms so that we can fight against a tyrannical government. If you were literally, if people were literally fighting, who would you be fighting? You ain't fighting some pencil pusher bureaucrat. You're fighting the literal army and the literal Marines, right? Yeah, just if the shit got way so far gone to that level, I think the military would fight on behalf of the people because they're the ones that swore an oath to uphold the Constitution Again. and literally fight for it. And who is the people? These things, revolutions never work out that way. There's... One group of people over here, there's another group of people here, and everyone thinks they're right. Oh, yeah. It's going to be it, – it'll be a cold day in hell when the American people, at least, are on the same page enough to ever do something meaningful. No, but, like what, I'm, but what I'm saying is actually – I'm saying if you play it out logically, mm -hmm. it just it's not really a real thing. It's, it's, it's this – and this is why – the people, the main people that are obsessed with these ideas do like the Civil War reenactments and the Revolutionary War reenactments and they go and they're militias and they do a lot of these like moves because it's, in a way, it's it's like, you ever think about uh, doomsday preppers, right? People who are like re ready for the shit to go down. Yeah. If you're ready for the end of the world and it doesn't happen while you're still alive, you're kind of disappointed. It's like, why I get all these baked beans? 
man, why, why I got all this bottled water, right? You're kind of like, so I think there's almost a kind of fantastical wish fulfillment idea that A, everyone thinks uh, the end of the world is going to happen while they're alive, right? And there's also this idea that, I don't know, people need some great fight to be a part of. They need some great, you know, and I think some of that is biological, right? Like that essentially humans have been at war, some type of war as almost as long as we've been alive. And we actually are not, our brains are not prepared for peace, right? Like that's the whole idea from the matrix of like how the, uh, Agent Smith was saying they built a utopia and humans couldn't accept it, right? And that's just like a commentary on that. We actually are not built for peace because if we don't have something to fight, we actually kind of have a tough time finding meaning. I think peace, peace and liberty are like the eternal uh, fights for humanity. And uh, <clears throat> something you said back there uh, about, you know, people stacking up all the baked beans and all the supplies and stuff. Um, to me, with, with that kind of stuff, it just makes me think of like a fire extinguisher, just in case it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. The worst case scenario, if you like beans, that's a good problem to have. Very healthy. <laughs> all, right. Solid, all right, protein, fiber, it's got it all. Uh, but um, no, no, no. I listen. I I think at a at a practical element, like I always make this joke. I'm like, all all liberals, you better have you some conservative friends when the shit goes down because they gonna have the AK. <laughs> have, you know, they're gonna have the bunker. They're gonna have them baked beans. You need you need to be ready for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but half joking. Yeah. No, not even half joking. <laughs> like, yo, if, if the shit went down right now, I'd be woefully unprepared. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I could take a few people out with this Dean guitar. You know, I don't fuck some people up, but you can only kill <laughs> so many zombies with a flying V. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you know, but um, <laughs> but but no, but I think you in in the abstract in the abstracts, you're right. But I think the type of mentality of the people that really hone into this stuff and it's increased a lot. And I think it's going to get a lot worse um, in the next few years is this idea of an impending revolution, right? I think, you know, and you saw that in many regards with what happened on January 6th, a lot of that, the, the personality type. And the funny thing is it's actually, a lot of these people are ex-military, are, mm -hmm people who served um, in law, law enforcement. Um, and, I, and I think it's this, again, this goes back, back to media diet. If you consume a radio show or a podcast or a YouTube show, that's telling you every day, it's coming. The storm is coming, right? You know, and you, you, you saved up all them bullets one day. You're going to want them. You, you, I saved these bullets just because they look cool so I can dress up like Rambo on the weekends. Like, I think so. It's this. Yeah, media diet's important. Yeah, but and by the way, when <clears> I, <throat> and I I say this a lot, but you know, just right now is that we got to stop thinking the media is just three cable news networks. Like Joe Rogan has more influence over men between the ages of twenty four and forty five than maybe any human being ever. Yeah. You, like, you might be right about that. Like, so 
when you say media, it's Joe Rogan. It's, you know, any, and that's just, I'm just, I'm giving one example, but it could be, you know, PewDiePie is media, right? He, how many kids watch him 10, 10 hours a day doing meme review or whatever. And it doesn't, and media doesn't necessarily mean it has to be politically geared, right? No, I mean, this conversation right now is considered media technically. Of course, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's just anything that has any kind of influence that people are tuning into that is somehow shaping their worldview, innocuous or not. Um, and so, and you know, and some of this has been proven, like you had a few elections in a row where like uh, they, they passed Citizens United or the, the Supreme Court, right? And so the uh, corporations could give unlimited amounts to candidates. So Mitt Romney actually outraised Obama in 2012, lost the election. Uh, Hillary Clinton vastly outraised Donald Trump 2016, lost the election. And it's, it's basically proven that they take all this money, they raise all this money, essentially do TV ads. You know what happens with TV ads? They don't work anymore. We're like immune to them because A, way less people watch TV, less, less people watch TV with commercials. And we're a little more, they, they have an impact in, in smaller races and like, you know, localities and stuff with, you know, Senate races, things like that, they have sure. impacts because uh, there's just way less money. So if you get an advantage, any you know you don't, you need less votes to win all that. But generally, what I'm saying is these the CNNs of the world have way less of an impact than they did, and and I think influence is way less decentralized, and it is much more honed in around bubbles, right? So once you're, and this is why they're saying like. Um, you know, like a presidential approval now will only go above a certain threshold and will only go below down a certain threshold. Because basically everyone is so in their bubbles, no matter what, if it's their guy, they're never going to say they're bad. And if it's the person they don't like, they're never going to say they're good, no matter what they do. Yeah, because identity politics. Everybody's so married to dog dogmatically yeah. uh, married to their political party. Well, but yeah, and politics have become identity. Yeah. So it's yeah, like, which is fucking strange, isn't it? It's honestly, it's not strange. It's whack. It's like, <laughs> oh, seriously. If, Amen. If your politics, if your set of issues are the <clears throat> most important thing about your personality, you're a fucking boring person. I agree 100%. I, and listen, I, and I think you could, and unfortunately, I think because the way things have been politicized, we're taking things that didn't used to be political and making them political. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so it's like, um, and, and so people will take one, maybe you're into like, you know, cause it seems like, seems like, like a constant theme in, in your, your music and your lyrics is like, um, you know, peace, like political correctness, which is kind of, we, we, it has gone under a bunch of different names, right? Social justice warriors. Now it's cancel culture or wokeness, whatever. Sure. Um, and you can be somewhat, and by the way, political correctness, wokeness is not popular. Like amongst Republicans, Democrats, it's, it's a very small group of people that are overly represented on Twitter, overly represented in print media. Um, and Commercials, yeah. Well, just, just if you actually to talk to people, like this happened in, in, in New York, like uh, the guy who just won the Democratic mayoral mayoral uh primary was like the most moderate dude like he was out there he was like 
People, he's like, black people do not want to defund the police. Stop saying that shit. <laughs> and he was gonna, but he won. And like, you don't have to win. There's so many people that run, you can get like 20% of the vote and still like win a primary. But the point is, is that some, I, I do believe some of the problems are like overly stated because it's like one small group of people on one end of the stream get a giant foghorn and talk all that shit. Then the other end, they respond to it and create it, make it bigger. And you're like, well, what's the actual reality? If you go on the streets, are people acting politically correct? Hell no. Not where I live. I go out to the bar, people are acting a fool. Where are you at? <laughs> I'm in Long Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't, I just, I, but I, but I think I, the, the internet is a, is a fun house mirror, right? It's not, it's distorts everything. And so we don't, re, I think, we, and if you j absorb one thing all the day and all you're hearing about is this one issue, right? Right now it's critical race theory, right? Everywhere I go, I fucking stub my toe every day. Like, damn, critical race theory. <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere, man. You know, but I'm like, but like, might, may it, might it be a problem? Maybe, but it's, but is but like I said, hyperbole, everything is the next thing that's going to destroy society. Right. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest people that have a problem with that are people with kids in schools. Okay. That seems from what I can gather, that's where it seems to be a, a problem. But, it's, but, 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 it, but again, these, these are interesting issues because no one ever heard of the motherfucker six months ago. Now it's the most important thing in life. Right. Like I don't have any kids. Crazy. No, but, but what I'm saying is I don't have children. Mm -hmm. so I don't know what, like I was, uh, I was, I was listening to this one story about it in Connecticut where this, this was it Connecticut or, or New York. Can't remember, but you know, these parents are flooding the PTA meetings. Right. And yeah. just, and they have a very definitive idea of what they, what they think it is. And people can't even agree on what it is. Right. Like they can't even say, well, what, well, and then someone put out this, this, uh, this list of like, if it says these terms, then that means it's critical. So if you mention equity, if you mention uh, anti-racism, right, then that's mm -hmm. there. like, then all of a sudden you're saying, well, at a certain point, if you, if you can't mention all those, then maybe you just can't talk about racism. Right. And I or you can't talk about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, and this is where like the different um, points of focus intersect and start to contradict each other, right? Because if you're a free speech fundamentalist, right? These are just ideas. So isn't the whole thing about ideas is we put them into the sphere of, of public discourse and then we debate the ideas, right? right? The only way to beat a bad idea is with a good idea. I mean, you know, uh, hopefully, right? That's, 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 the, that's the idea that we hope to aspire to. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not what we're seeing, I think, from the right. We're seeing we want these ideas eradicated, right? Which is creating laws. Which is not very free speech. Exactly. That's exactly. That's, 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 and by the way, I'm not saying I agree with the tenets of critical race theory that, I, that I've known. But, and I'm, so I'm like surprised where I see it being implemented in certain maybe corporate uh, environments or maybe some educational environments. But the truth is, if you go around this country, you go somewhere down south, they have a very particular way they teach history, right? That is unique to their 
they'll say, oh, well, you know, the Civil War is about states' rights. They won't mention slavery because they're trying to tell their story, right? They're trying to get, and I think it's a bunch of people on the extremes fighting over who gets to indoctrinate who with what, right? Everyone just wants to get their ideas in. And I think you can go, whether it's religion, right? Getting a group, a group of young children and telling them what they need, to, you think they should believe about a particular religion, getting them to believe about about science, right? Like some of these schools in Texas, they want us to go, hey, we want intelligent design right next to evolution, right? So the idea that schools are a battleground to implement history, science, values, that's, that's as American as apple pie. It's just a new frontier. <laughs> well, the, uh, the Department of Education didn't exist on, until only a handful of decades ago. <clears throat> Before that, school was, was not uh, dictated by the federal government or the state. Yeah, people got an education and they were well-rounded in all kinds of things. And it wasn't just state sanctioned uh, education. But but again, you say that, but I don't know that. Was I at every school around the country and I could say what the standards were and what the what were the reading levels? What were the math? I don't know. So what I try and do is never talk about things I don't know about and not jump to to conclusions because I don't really know. It's a I'll, smart way to be. Yeah, this is one subject I say, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit, a little bit I know, but I don't have children. I did go to school. <laughs> I learned a little bit about a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. The thing, the thing that I wish was taught in school more that has uh, the root of the word of the term critical race theory in it is critical thinking. I wish that was taught in school. Well, it's, I always, I always said it's, uh, funny about schools is essentially, you know, it was designed to basically get people to get a job in the industrial age. You know, it's, it's, you know, like that, that whole George Carlin thing about just smart enough to run the machines, you know, but it's like, I never had a class that taught me about credit. Right. No, never had a class that was like, Hey, banks work, (laughs) banks work, how to start your own business. Um, you know, all, all kinds of things that are actually applicable. And, um, you know, it's because the truth is, it's, I would say like this, uh, there's this thing going on right now where they don't, there's a worker shortage, right? We don't have enough workers for the jobs. Um, and when all these jobs are lower paying jobs, uh, service, things like that. And, because the, the truth of the economy is it's a game of musical chairs, right? It is designed that someone has to pump the gas. Someone has to clean the floors. Someone has to throw out the garbage, right? If everyone, if everyone went and got a doctorate and went to MIT, then there would be no one to be a cashier at McDonald's. But the truth is it's so that there's a fundamental lack of honesty about the way the system is that no, no, someone has to do these jobs. And if right now we have more capital in the system because of stimulus and uh, you know, things like that. And a lot of people just through the pandemic almost kind of re-examine their lives and were like, oh, I, I don't want to go 
to work back at Applebee's, right? People are kind of re-examining how they, how they want to exist in their, in their lives. Sure. But we need to get to a certain amount of honesty about that to say, all right, we actually do need people to work at McDonald's. We do need people to do these jobs and we should actually value them and treat them with respect and dignity. And you know what I'm saying? Like there's a, like the, I was, have you seen some of these signs? They're like, uh, McDonald's is closed. We, no one wants to work anymore. Like they're going to shame somebody. Can you like they actually think someone's going to see that. And you know what? You know what? I feel bad about myself. Like, you can't shame someone in the work at McDonald's. Like you don't question someone's work ethic and that's going to make someone work there. Yeah, but, this is a, such a crazy time where so many people are not willing to go to work because they're getting unemployment money. And it's, it's so wild that like a, a quarter of the dollars in existence were printed in the last like year and a half. No, they weren't. Insane. No, they weren't. You don't think so? what they print? This is a number in a bank account on a screen. And they, right. They don't want to have real cash anymore. They ain't print that shit. Right. Yeah, not physically print, but you understand. Well, listen, I'm of the mind that money isn't really real. Okay. It's, 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 it's funny it, money, monopoly money. Yeah. But, uh, but past a certain, listen, all, all money represents is time and work. It's a energy. Symbol. No, it's a symbol for goods and services. Right. So at the end of the day, I think it's energy is what money is. It's a store of your energy and time. Well, no, but, but it also, it also stands for, you know, like, I want to buy that guitar and it's worth these, you know, this means, well, but it, but my point is it's only worth something because we believe it's worth something. We have, yeah. trust, right. We have a trust in the idea that when I take that hundred dollars, you give me, I could take that down to the store and buy some groceries or I can get a beer or whatever with that, with, with that, with that money. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember that, that this guy, um, was named Jacques Fresco, that dude, the, uh, yeah. list, you know, he just, you know, cool. He said about the, the depression, he goes, you know, the stock market crashed, but he goes, the same amount of stuff was in the store, the same amount of people, like nothing physically changed. It was just a crisis of confidence. Mm-hmm. And, he, and so the whole, so, so why do you have a depression when nothing physically changed? There wasn't less bread in the store. There wasn't less gold um, in the, you know, to be mined. It wasn't less oil. It was, the resources didn't change. So it's this idea about having something that is more resource oriented. But the problem is our, our system is set up. Like I said, it's set up a, that someone has to lose, right? Someone has to do the shitty jobs. So we got to make sure we, and we actually have to, in our system, we have to make sure that the bottom is so shitty that it'll scare you so much that you will take the shitty job for no money to do anything. We have to make sure that it's like, it's just bad enough and that you will hate being poor will suck so much. You'll want to succeed, which part of that I get, right? Like you want to motivate people to like innovate and do cool things and do better. Right. So I, 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 get, I get some of that. Um, but it also ha- they're always in a market system capitalism. It's, it's profit based. So there always has to be something left over. So if I have a corporation and my goal is to maximize profit for my shareholders, I need to create that gap between what I'm spending and what I'm making. 
And so I'm going to figure out any way to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So that is inherently inefficient at some point because it's going to go, well, I need, and that's why you have, it was like a Steve Ballmer who owns the Clippers. He was, he's a Microsoft billionaire. Like he, his net worth increased by $20 billion in a year. I don't think he did shit. <laughs> he just, you know, you know, did he, why does he get, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, but that's what, that's the way the mark, the, the system is, is kind of set up. Um, and so I think when you have a system like that, it's just inherently going to have problems that whether that's inequality or, you know, these situations where let's say technology gets so good where everything's automated. Right. And we literally don't need anyone to work at McDonald's. We literally don't need anyone to drive trucks. We literally don't need anyone to drive Uber and you have all these people but the, the economy is creating wealth and it's creating productivity, but we don't physically need people to do all that shit. We're not prepared for a, um, an abundance reality. We're pre- we've lived in it with uh, scarcity most of, most of, of, of most of time. So we're not really prepared mentally for that. Yeah, and it depends how you look at it, because you could easily argue that today we live in a time of abundance. Like, we're fucking so lucky to live when and where we do. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, we're spoiled as fuck to be able to communicate right now. You're in California. I'm in Hawaii. You're in Hawaii? Yeah. I thought you were in in Denver. Uh, The band's from Denver. I live there, but my girlfriend lives in Hawaii, and when the pandemic started, she was like, hey, all your tours are canceled. Do you want to come here for the winter? And I was like, fuck yeah. Damn. <laughs> so, I mean, like we're, we're talking though, from thousands of miles away from each other. You know, we have air conditioning, you have cool artwork on your wall. I do. We have microphones, we have refrigeration. We eat better than most Kings, emperors and czars throughout all of history. Yep. And, and so many people find, uh, you know, we, we just discussed a bunch of heavy stuff, but a lot of people are, are just stuck in like this really ungrateful state where they can't see any of the good that we have. And dude, even the poorest people here in this country are still living way better than rich people, uh, uh, you know, two, a thousand years ago. Yeah. In, in many ways, not not in all ways, but, you know, we're we're super lucky, spoiled to live when and where we do. Listen, I every day. You know, I've struggled most of my life just to make a living doing music. You know, I'm sure you can relate. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, you know, having some success in the last few years, you know, just literally like, oh, I got a roof over my head. Check. I'm doing pretty good. Oh, did I eat today? Yes, I did. Check. Okay, got that. Do I have a wonderful girlfriend? Yes, I do. Do I have good friends and family? Like, I look at all – I'm – I try and take – moments to just be grateful for just the very basic things that I have. Do I have all my limbs? Do I, you know, do I don't have cancer? You know, all these things that we take for granted. Do I have my eyesight uh, that, that, that we take for, take for granted. And yeah, I, I was, I did just did this um, thing on my last podcast, just about focus, right? You are the things you focus on, right? So if you only focus on, I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't, or, or like in a political social context of, Oh, well, this bad thing is happening there. There's a, every day I'm reading about the war that's happening 5,000 miles away that literally, if I never looked it up would never, ever affect me. 
and it's like the the downside of too much information or too much like they say like if you were to look at a graph between people being worried about crime and like their kids being kidnapped or something and the actual rates of it happening it's yeah. like there's way less more crime there's way less violent crime way less kidnappings and murders and all that shit but people's worry about it has skyrocketed but only because 24-hour news cycle and if some so if you're a parent right and you're in ohio and some kid gets kidnapped in california now you're hearing or i call it the kid in the well stories right like yep. now that's global news but for you your monkey brain can only comprehend all news is local yeah it's uh Reminds me of Jim Morrison. He said, whoever controls the media controls the mind. And, and unfortunately, that's that's still true. But I love your idea of being grateful for the things that we have, because I really believe, and I've thought this for a long, long time, that gratitude equates to happiness. I think the more grateful you are, the, the more happy you're going to be. The more ungrateful you are, you're going to be a more miserable person because you're constantly going to be in despair and comparing yourself to others who have more. That's not a great mindset to have. Yeah. And I've, I've often thought about, cause to me, the uh, gratitude is like a practice, right? It's not necessarily. It like is. Yeah. Being it's like actually taking a moment and I do it like a mantra. Um, but so sometimes I would get confused. I go, is it more important to feel grateful when things are going bad or is it more important to be grateful when things are going good? Because I think sometimes, and I actually th think it's both because when things- They're both are, important. Yeah, because when it's going bad, you kind of go, okay, this terrible thing. Like I've had, I had a rough year, like both my parents passed away. I had, oh you know, man, I'm sorry. I, I appreciate it. A lot of, you know, tough things with, with the band and just just a lot of just, just new life stresses, in, you know, big monumental ways and- but then you have to go, okay, all this stuff is rough, but what do I have, right? But then sometimes things are going great. You also, I think sometimes you get too comfortable and you don't actually go, hey, you know, let me take a second here, smell the roads and go, things are going really great for me. And I'm really lucky because I know if you just wait long enough, something bad's going to happen, right? If you just, like you ever have those good times when you're like, man, things are going too good and you're like, you like smelling around the corner for, <laughs> for something bad to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you kind of sense that on tour. That's, that's why we all knock on wood, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> dude, it's, it's, I don't know, man. It's, 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 it's interesting, you know, but I, you know, like I said, I, for me, just my number one priority just in, in general is like finding some peace or serenity or Zen Right. And kind of, you know, like I feel like with the pandemic, I just think a lot of people just kind of went down these rabbit holes and they're still not back yet because and they're they're hyped up about whatever they're hyped up about. And it's like now that's their life. Whatever it is, whatever hole they kind of went down they, and they come back now, they're like they're hyped up all the time. Well, let me tell you about this. Let me, you know what? Can we not? Can we just can we just. Woosah. Can we come with Woosah for a minute? <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, like, I'll go and have dinner with friends or something, and <clears throat> there, there's times where, like, we don't talk about anything COVID-y or pandemic-y at all, because 
I mean, what, what else is there to say? You know, it's friends that I've already discussed this stuff with, like, doesn't need to be the thing to talk about all the time, every day. No, um, I've, I've noticed I can't watch any like show or movie that's about the pandemic. Like, I just don't like, I it's like, I lived through it. I don't need to relive. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, and, uh, your, your, your mission to, to seek serenity and, and peace, I, I think is, uh, you know, a good way to get there is through stoicism, stoic mindset and, and gratefulness, gratitude. Yeah. Well, it's and also, but it's also like, I think, you know, there's like two, two sides of the coin, right. Of being, of believing, I think, and you're, you're probably agree with me on this is that at some point in your life, you felt like you had like a civic duty to some degree to be informed. Right. So you'd like consume news and read books and kind of like inform your worldview. But I think there's like a, a past a certain point where it becomes unhealthy, where you're on information overload or just like there's so much coming at you that it becomes actually difficult to process things and it can increase your uh your anxiety it can make you just put it like if you're really tuned into these external things and then doing that thing where you just take the social media off your phone you say you know what? i'm not gonna i'm actually not gonna watch the news i'm good i'm gonna you know just go into go to realize you oh if you just turn off the noise it actually was that helping me the big reason i like to go hiking yeah you get rid of a car noise you get rid of uh any uh external shit going on you just <laughs> detach unplug for a minute yeah i mean we well we, we all have to have to have to do that but i mean like i appeared where i just wasn't on social media for X amount of time. And it was like, it's, it's fascinating how your brain kind of starts to recalibrate itself. And you're just, there is that FOMO, right? Like I'm a big NBA fan. So NBA Twitter is a big, is one of my, one of my favorite things. Oh, there's a game on, but in general, it's just, you start to, I don't know. I started thinking about deeper things. I started, uh, I don't know. I like, you forget how as a creative person, how boredom can be a great, like, oh, like you start thinking of things in, in, in different ways. And so even, even lately, I have this difficult relationship where on one hand, as a human being, it would be in my best interest to just get off all social media and never be on it. But mm -hmm. as someone whose income relies on you being present, doing videos, just, just showing your face and promoting things, you're like, I kind of have to be. And that's a that's a tough space because I it's like now especially like Bad Wolves we have a new record coming out and all this stuff's gonna happen and I know I'm have to be like on top of it and it's like and to some degree I wish I was the type of person who just naturally gravitated to wanting to be posting and doing this but it's it certain times it becomes a bit of a chore you know yeah yeah I I totally feel that I mean I was out of town for a few weeks and I was not on my social media very much. And when I came back on there and looked at stuff, I was like, ah, like, all right. I, I, I get it. I, like you said, you got to kind of be on there and be present. Um, but a huge part of me really enjoyed not being on it much for, <laughs> for three weeks. Yeah. It, it was nice. 
Um, yeah, it's unfortunate that we have that double-edged sword of like, yeah, in, in some ways, social media can really suck. In some ways, it can be really good. I mean, I keep in touch with some people that I wouldn't otherwise if it wasn't for that. <laughs> and, and it's a way that I also learn things, you know? Um, I don't often watch like TV or, or movies very much. I, I do watch a lot of documentaries when I'm going to throw on television. Um, but social media has been useful for me in that way. And like you were talking about earlier with media diet, you got to be careful with what you're consuming that goes for not just your body, but your mind. And, uh, it, it is, it is cool the way, at least personally, I've set up my own social media stuff, the, the, uh, any, any information I get about the outside world, it's a, I I think a, a healthy blend of, things that they don't talk about on news, things that are good stories, things that are interesting, um, that are not just all fear mongering, uh, bullshit, trying to sell you some Tide Pods. <laughs> so, sell you something. Um, <laughs> actually, so it's funny. We, we kind of went on this tangent, uh, good tangent but you know all, all stuff i knowing what i know about your your lyrics and i know how much you care about this stuff so i knew we would we would kind of get on these these topics either way but i actually wanted to ask you some music related questions if that's okay yeah, yeah of course <laughs> um havoc kind of came out at a time when i guess at the time what was it called it, i think it was called rethrash was it yeah was, a lot of people were calling it that um during this like this this period of time and listen there's even something god forbid experienced um in that we like we did this tour we did the anthrax among the living reunion tour in 2008 oh no six i was still on six jesus and i remember some of the shows you we would see like 15 year old kids who looked they had the vest they had the white shoes like you could definitely tell there was this new generation of young kids who really identified with like a, a very particular type of thrash metal kind of vision, right? And it's very much in, in line with suicidal tendencies and a very particular area era of, of anthrax and, and th things like that. Um, do you think that, like, what is, what is about thrash where a new group of kids can come around to it but in a way, they're almost—it's almost frozen in time, even though it's this—it's a new group of kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, what, what do you think was at least going on with that era with like bands of like you guys and, and Municipal Waste and uh, Warbringer as another one? Um, well, when I started the band, there were not really many other bands I could find that were doing like a thrash, quote unquote, kind of sound, and. Uh, I started the band and wanted to make this kind of music because I love thrash and I, I didn't hear other bands playing the kind of music that I liked. Even the bands that I fell in love with for their thrashy, fast, heavy stuff, they didn't sound like that anymore. So I was like, somebody's got to make this music. And I started Havoc kind of for that reason, because I wasn't hearing a lot of bands put out the kind of music that I liked to listen to. And, uh, I started the band when I was 15 in high school with another kid that played drums there. We both knew a bunch of Metallica songs 
jammed and uh, eventually started writing our own stuff. And I was like, Hey, writing in my own stuff. That was fun. I should do that more. And that kind of took off from there. I mean, but did, did you, did you know, was it a situation where you guys were coming out there doing shows and it was a whole new group of young people getting into it? Or was it, were you appealing to like the old school fans who were like waiting for a kind of revival? Uh, no, mainly we were just like playing. I'm sure you can relate to this largely. Uh, we were mainly just playing to satisfy ourselves. Yeah. to be able to record it and listen back to it and be like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then playing it live was even more fun. Cause you know, there was people that were banging their head and like moshing. We felt like, you know, as a teenager watching Metallica live shit, binge and purge. And, and that was one of the huge catalysts for me. I was like, Holy shit, that looks like so much fun. I need to learn how to do that. <laughs> and, and so when you, go out and play live and there's people moshing and head banging and stage diving and stuff. It's super exciting. And, uh, yeah, we weren't really trying to appeal to like old guys that were there in the early days of man, I saw Cliff Burton with Dave Mustaine on stage with Hetfield. We weren't like trying to appeal to those people. We were just doing things that satisfied our own, um, artistic interest. Yeah. No, yeah, it's 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 fascinating for me because, like you, those are my roots, and that was like the template I kind of everything filtered out of. Uh, but with God forbid, we were such a amalgamum of different influences, be it Swedish death metal or math metal or fucking metalcore, all all, all these things. Do you ever get stifled by? limitations because i think you know when i was getting into metal all those bands were that that was when they were doing their they were go, everyone was going hard rock right you had uh, anthrax with sound of white noise metallica black album countdown to extinction mm-hmm. um is is it a genre that you feel comfortable like staying within certain bounds or are you like wanting to expand and do more with the genre well i think our musical in influences become more and more broad as the years go by. And I think a lot of that stuff gets mixed into this pot that we call havoc music. But like, I'm a huge fan of funk music. I listen to a shitload of funk and R and B and soul music, um, classical music, jazz, punk rock, death metal, uh, gypsy jazz, flamenco guitar. Reese listens to a lot of country and uh bluegrass stuff i mean that all that stuff kind of slips into our sound under the radar i think a lot of people that listen to havoc and like havoc probably would dig a lot of funk and bluegrass and country and shit but in classical music and jazz but they just don't know that they are fans of that because we put it all in this cauldron and stirred around and call it thrash metal but it it, it to a trained ear, you, you can definitely go into our songs and pick out, oh, there's the funky part. Oh, there's the bluegrass part. No, I, listen, and I think that's why, for me, Conformicide was like a breakthrough record because it it expanded on that stuff, especially, you know, when, when Nick was playing bass, like, it was just, it really stood out that it was different. They're like, oh, we're not just doing this thing that has already existed, but our version of it, we're really going to... Uh, 
get out there with that. That's something I definitely n- noticed and was like, this is fucking cool that it that is especially people forget the 90s funk metal was was happening all right so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but the other thing that stuck out to me about that record as well was it seemed like your personality as a vocalist and lyricist was coming out it felt mustaine-esque not that you were you sounded like him or that you were parroting his ideas but it was that he was a personality and he had things to say that felt important that he really cared about. And it was like, and I was like, yes, like, this is what we need. And I, and I'd say like me as a fan, like I want out of you, I want more of that, like be the most brash and outward version of yourself and speak like whatever you think about something, go like double down on it and be in more attitude, more fucking, uh, just like yo this is this is who i am because i think that's what the genre lacks is like those big personalities right yeah you know a lot of that just stemmed from the ideas that i have and largely the way i think was uh assisted by people like george carlin you know when i got into him i was a young teenager i was like a little kid in high school, 13, 14, 15 years old, listening to Carlin. And that guy blew my mind wide open to all kinds of things about how the world works. And, uh, you know, right around like when our third record was being made, I was reading a lot of books and uh, just have all of these ideas in my brain, but I was, I, I wanted to get them out of my brain and into songs because I figured like, there's a lot of bands already singing about death and war and Satan and whatever. And I don't really like, that's not what I want to be saying and shouting about. I don't really, you know, I don't, I don't want to be another one of those. I'd rather just get the ideas that are in my head out and and conformicide was probably the biggest um, at the time was probably the biggest foot down statement that I had made about my personal beliefs and my ideas put into song forms. So V continues with that. And I'm sure our next record will, will have a lot more of that as well, but uh, I just can't find it in myself to sing songs about the devil or shit like that. You know, (laughs) there's so many other interesting things to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think with a particular kind of heavy metal, Sometimes it lacks a depth, right? So I think the more you can kind of lend to that, it just makes the band stick out even more. And it's like, you know, because it's got to be more than just sick riffs, right? It's got to be, you know, but it, and it just, I just think it's cool because it it gives Havoc something else that's special, you know? Whether yeah. people agree with that or not, gives a fuck. It's like, yo, this is what we do, you know? Yeah, thanks. Um yeah, I, I agree. There, there's a lot of bands that have really cool music, and then lyrically, um, their stuff doesn't. And I'm not knocking them. The the lyrics, like, they, there are cool songs and fun songs, but a lot of bands, their lyrics don't like really say anything. They don't hold like an important message. Sometimes they'll tell a story or have a tongue in cheek kind of a joke theme to it or whatever, or partying or things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
We need those kinds of songs. You don't hate partying, do you, bro? All right. No, we need those kinds of songs. Okay. <laughs> but but that's not the kind of thing I wanted to do. And I think it's really cool that people, some people pick up on, on the fact that Havoc is uh, saying something more than, than the average <laughs> metal band. Okay, so I got an idea. You used to do a cover song, right, of Guns N' Roses Get In The Ring Right, and you're like, all right, motherfucker, and just start calling out like individual people on like Twitter or like Instagram. All right, uh, <laughs> loves Morbid Angel two eight five. Fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> you fucking pussy ass. <laughs> um, I'll let you sing that one. Yeah, I'll do like <laughs> hip hop style. I'll, like I'll come with some some raps. Actually, I'm joking. That is like the worst <laughs> song ever, and it's actually hilarious. He's just like. He's like, he's like, such and such from Kerrang! magazine. I'll kick your pussy ass. I'm like, really? Really, Axel? Like, that is, I think that's peak petty. Like, no one better than that track ever. <laughs> what, what a psycho. Like, that, that's uh, serious insecurity revealed through a song. Well, it shows, though, like, uh, you know, I've gotten more... I've gotten attacked more online by individuals in the past six months that I have, like the entire time of the internet, like personally, you know, and it's, it kind of just, I think reveals the fact that none of us are really above it. Like we all feel it, right? Like if someone says something really terrible about you, but we're all, a lot of the many artists and people that are the most talented people are also some of the most sensitive people as, as, as well. He just had the inability to, <laughs> brush it off and he was just leaning into <laughs> you know i mean axel rose is kind of i think he's one of one in terms of his ability to exacerbate what it the idea of what it means to be a rock star <laughs> yeah yeah at least during Absolutely. that at least during that time period where he's the the peak of all that hence chinese democracy taking 13 years to be completed yeah and there was like 40 musicians on that record crazy, crazy. <laughs> listen brother i think i'm pretty good right now i got you know i'm sweating in this room you look good i'm trying listen baby i don't know i'm gonna look a little tired <laughs> no but i'm all out of coffee and that that means uh it's time to to to, to replenish with was there anything else you wanted to ask me yeah one question before sure. we wrap it if you could leave one message to all future generations of people what would you want to tell them you you asked me this. Um, damn, I you know what's funny is I thought of something and now I fucking can't. Let me see if I can I, I can remember it. Uh, probably don't listen to me. Uh, <laughs> oh shit, damn! I had I fucking had something for this and now I can't remember what it was. It was, it was something pretty pr pr pretty good. Um, you know, if you can't think of it right now and you think of it later, you could do a voice memo and we can yes. add it on to the end. Yes. We're going to be. I'm gonna do something. <laughs> Then it'll be a proper message to the future. No, I mean, I'm I'm definitely the type of person that I don't know. I I never think I have the fucking answers. I'll tell you that. I'll, I'm always someone who's like, listen, I have an opinion about shit, but probably don't listen to me. Listen to someone way smarter than me. <laughs> but let me think about it, and I'll and I will I will you know I, usually I'm, I'm pretty good off the cuff, but this is like. 
future generations, bro. It's loaded. I need to it's come. Loaded question. I need to come correct with this. All right. Um, you know what is that? I'm on drugs, or I dig music. <laughs> no, almost famous. No, you don't remember? Oh shit, dude, you're gonna hate me. I've never seen that movie. Dude, it's the best. It's the, the best. It's so listen. It is. I mean, as far as just. It's like, it's basically a band on tour. You know, there's supposed to be some amalgam of like Led Zeppelin and, or, you know, kind of American version of, of Led Zeppelin, but just on the road in the seventies, like what you wish, what you, you think it would be like to be in a band in that situation. It's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's the best. Isn't that kind of like a, a kind of a documentary? or a biopic on a writer for Rolling Stone or something? Yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, Cameron Crowe, the director, writer, who also did singles and what does he do? He didn't do High Fidelity. It's something else with um, John Cusack. But uh, Yeah, I need to see that movie. But I've uh, wanted to see it for a long time. He wrote for Rolling Stone when he was a teenager. So it's based on his actual experience. Uh which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but it has, the music is amazing. All the actors are amazing. I mean, sometimes, you know, you have a film that came out, I think it came out in 97. You hope that, you know, because I saw it, obviously, when I was, when it came out, and you're at a very formative age, so you have a certain kind of autobiographical attachment to certain pieces of work, and you hope that it translates 20 years later. I think it will. I think it has aged really well. But sometimes certain films, you almost, you don't see the original thing or you don't hear the original record, but then you see the work that it inspired. And so it somehow sure. might not feel as fresh. But with that, I'm trying to think, like probably it's the only other, something that's in the similar vibe, even though it's about a different thing is like uh, Dazed and Confused, like similar time, but obviously that's like a high school kind of whatever movie, but it's like, it's a vibe. And I think you'll, I think you'll like it. It's, oh, it's yeah. Like it's rock and roll shit, man. It's, it's as a guy spent a lot of his life on the road, out there living living it. I think you'll it'll definitely make you appreciate a certain certain period of time that we missed, but we at least we, we get a little a little reverberation of it. So that's a good way to put it. Yeah, love it. I'll check it out. <clears throat> well, Doc, thanks a lot for doing this, man. I'm really stoked that we could talk, and I hope we can do it again someday. Yes, likewise. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, glad you're doing the podcast thing and out there expressing yourself. And I'm, I'm thankful that you, that you reached out to me. And it's just, you know, it's fun to talk with uh, smart, talented, uh, talented people. And, and, you know, hopefully we get to see each other out and out there. I get to see you guys rock out. I went to that show with Kill Switch and uh, Anthrax. Anthrax, you guys fucking killed it sounded so good oh, thanks um, and I'm, I'm excited to see some of these new songs live and just, just everything man all all power and and luck and fortune and fame to you brother oh yeah and likewise dude i, I really appreciate you taking the time i i enjoy your podcast by the way i've listened to a handful of them and uh keep up the good work thank you brother likewise i'll talk to you soon all right sounds good
And so I apologize to him for that. I have to send him a message and apologize. And I have to apologize to him because I feel like I talk too much. I listened back to it and I feel like I was a little bit domineering with the time and the space. And it was funny. I was, I was reading some reviews on iTunes. And it was two back-to-back or on, um, excuse me, Apple podcasts. There were back-to-back reviews that said, I, I talk too much. <laughs> and so that's something I got to work on. And I think with this show, uh, given David's feelings on, on, on certain things that I, I had researched, 
like me i think i went in thinking it was going to be more contentious and or and or and maybe I, or maybe just some of these subject matters i hadn't talked about a lot publicly so i just had a lot on my mind and it's really kind of broad stuff so it needs a lot of setup and explaining and anyway i just felt a little embarrassed that you know maybe i was talking too much or being a little more domineering with my points and i and i hope it didn't come off that way but that's how it felt listening back to it but uh so david i wish i would have given you a little more space to to speak your mind and either way i really appreciate you coming on the show again i have so much respect for you um and and i had a great time i, I really did have a great and then just listen back to it we, we we covered some fun stuff some important stuff uh some topics that i think were very relevant and clearly i'd had some stuff i need to get off my chest <laughs> um but but yeah it's uh it's late it's late out, out out here and i'm tired and oh by the way we got congratulations to the milwaukee bucks the world heavyweight champions of the nba what a wonderful story congratulations nba season is over now we have the olympics we can watch the the not dream team lose <laughs> in the olympics i'm not gonna watch them because the games come on like eight in the morning and you know i'm a i don't know what's wrong with me but i'm just not a morning person so i just i'll, I'll find out about their their triumphs or failures after the fact and i kind of you know put this at 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 the end but you know because in, in the intro i was i was talking kind of about the bad wolf stuff and there was another story you know there were a couple stories uh, I don't know if you saw Tommy, basically, he filed a lawsuit. And keep in mind, I'm not involved in any of this shit, all right? I'm not in the band business. I'm not on the record label. So I'm not involved in lawsuits. No one's suing me. I mean, not yet. <laughs> but, like, I don't own anything with the band. And so it's like, so I hear about this shit all, like, secondhand. And, uh... So, I, you know, sometimes I'll put these nuggets at the end for, like, the, the real motherfuckers. So, <laughs> he this this article comes out in TMZ, and it's basically like a press release for him. And I'm like, damn, this, you could just do that with TMZ. They'll just kind of, like, filter your talking points as if it's an actual story. And then uh, our label owner, manager, Alan Kovacs, uh, he put out a statement kind of refuting some of the stuff. It seems like a really frivolous lawsuit, you know, and I, and, and, you know, I'm being a little bit more outspoken about this stuff in everything I can't talk about right now. And I'd like to be more open with it because I, like I said, I think, you know, and the reason why Alan made a statement is because you're just saying things that are not true. And I think you have that you have this weird, uh, kind of no-win situation when you're dealing with someone who's a troll or just trolls in general. Because the troll, the way they win is by getting you to react. And when your kind of day-to-day -day thing is drama and having something, it's like uh, playing tennis, right? Like I need someone to hit the ball back. So you're in the situation where if you say nothing, yeah, I mean, you're, you're taking the high road and there's, there's elements that that's good. But if 
someone says something about you that's false and that is damaging to your reputation, it's difficult not to respond. It takes a lot of, uh, a lot of willpower. And, but then there's also the element of sometimes certain charges against you are so ridiculous by even acknowledging it, you're almost giving it oxygen. So that's a really tough balancing act. Uh, we have to figure out. And like I said, we haven't been that, that open with awesome stuff because we've basically been advised not to say anything. Uh, but I think that's going to start changing. And I think it's important because our fan base or a big portion of the fan base has essentially been radicalized against the band under false pretenses. And that's, that's a real thing. You know, I don't know how many people it is. I mean, who knows? Who knows how many fucking people see the bullshit on Instagram every day? It's probably like 20, 30% of the people that follow you, man. Maybe less. I don't know. Uh, we really just don't know. And so all you can do is go out there and put out the music and, you know, promote it. Get it out there and just hope people like it. And I'm really confident in the record. I think it's phenomenal. And hopefully that's what actually matters in this situation is music. The songs, man. I mean, you think about your favorite bands and, and those that how magical it is, right? And that's all we want to do, I think, as, as creators and being a part of this uh anything like this, that you make things that last and affect people. And I don't want to be dealing with this shit. I don't want to be in a war, war of words, a feud shit is whack. You know, so I, you know, I play music cause it's fun. This, that shit is not fun. <laughs> uh, but that's the point. The point is to wear you down is to, uh, make it a war of attrition. That is so, be labored that you'll give up. Uh, and I look at these situations as a test of, of one's will. Whose will wins out, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one to say. Like, um, if you go through the, through the gauntlet, but you're not happy. And it's just like, sometimes people do something they are, they're fighting just to win and they're doing it for so long. By the time they go through it, they forget they were even fighting for you know, and I'm someone, I don't really care about fame. I don't really care that much about money. I don't want to not have money, but I'm not like, I don't have that thing in my heart. That's like, I need to go make $80 million. Like I just, I don't know. It's just not, it's not in me. And listen, I want, like I said, I don't want to be broke. I definitely want to do well in life, but it's not my, my main motivator. I just want to do cool things and try and do right by people and I don't know, just be part of positive inertia. And I feel like you do the right things. The money will take care of itself. Uh, and we'll see how that turns out. But I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of background on the other piece of that story. Cause I was like, I was like, I can't be talking for 20, 30 minutes at the beginning of the damn podcast. All right. This thing has come to an end and I just, uh, I love all you guys. 
And I hope to see you soon out in the streets, at some shows, at some festivals. We're out there. I know the Delta variant is fucking people up, but we're going to beat it. And I'm positive that we will beat it. Not, I'm not positive for COVID. I'm, 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 I got that vax, vaxed and waxed. I'm about to tax. All right. I'm officially tired. Love you guys. Mom out. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.